Hello. Hello. Is it me you're looking for? No, not really. Oh, well, I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're sparkly officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello and welcome to Listen to the Prophets of Deep Space Nine, episode by episode discussion of what we consider to be one of the best Star Treks. I am one of uh, Dak's suppressed hosts, Dr. <laughs> Bill Robinson. With me is is uh, the other suppressed host, David Pascarella. You know, I, I, I'm Lieutenant Lieutenant. Pascarella, and I'm terribly sorry to bother you, but there's one thing about this case that, you know, just bothers me. We have another host, Paul Spataro. I guess he's really suppressed. Well, I just kind of understand why they suppress me, and I'm just being quiet because of it. Wow. We may never get this chance again. And our last suppressed host, Mr. Andrew Layla. Now, I know what you're thinking, and you're right. Why was Esri Dax acting as a detective? No, well, it makes total sense. It makes total sense. You have your your constable who's done investigations before, but why wouldn't you assign it to your uh, ineffective counselor? You know, I'm glad I wasn't the only one that thought that because I'm sitting there going, why is Cisco putting this on her? That was the one one thing wrong with this whole episode. Did he put it on her, though? Because my my theory, my thinking was, yeah, Odo's investigating this off camera. And for some reason, we've decided to follow Jadzia Colombo for the sake of this episode, as opposed to, you know, yes, sorry, Ezra Colombo. We've decided to follow follow the the neophyte as as opposed to the actual detective. Who actually came up with the working theory as to how the murders were being being done. Well, actually, wasn't it Miles? No, it was O'Brien who came up with that. But but he was the one that said, oh, that, that knew about you know, gunpowder residue. And they're all like, what? Huh? 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 And, no, Odo, Odo knew that because he'd been right, reading right. Raymond Chandler books. So and funny. they had that they had that magic bullet zigzagging all over the station. <laughs> but, wait, 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 wait. Let's, let's get into, uh, before we get into the plot and into the discussion, we've jumped ahead. Do we have any news? Would anyone like yes. to jump forward with that by, by, by the time that this uh, this airs, it will may have heard Star Trek Strange New Worlds is to be a new television show starring Anson Mount as Captain Christopher Pike, yeah. uh, Rebecca Romine as uh, number one or Una, and um, Ethan Peck as Mr. Spock. Now, on the one hand, I'm quite looking forward to it because he easily was the best thing about season two. He uh, had a really good relationship with the guy who plays Spock and the guy who played number one. 
and it will be nice to actually see Rebecca Ramin actually get something to do because she was absolutely wasted in season two of Discovery. Now, I don't mean she was, you know, baked. I mean, they wasted her as an actress. So <laughs> it's it's really nice to see her because she seems mad keen on it. She seems to be a bit of a Star Trek fan. So she seems really good on it. And the the producers are saying this is going to be more episodic. It's going to be stories of the week like they did with the original show. And all that sounds really good. But I can't escape from the fact that Alex Kurtzman is still in charge of it. And have you heard the... Not It's not a rumor of casting, but it's the fan uh, outcry for casting. They want Jeffrey Combs to play the Doctor. Dr. Boyce. Dr. Boyce, yes. Hmm. I, I could actually go with that. I think that'd be quite cool. Well, I mean, Jeffrey that, Combs reacted to a Twitter, uh, I guess, insurgence of uh, tweets over it. And his response was uh, something to the effect of, they haven't contacted me. My chances of playing the part are slim and none. And slim has left the station. <laughs> Which is a shame because it would be nice to have him in this one. Because then he will have been in everything apart from the original. Yeah, you know. Or it I mean, could be that they haven't cast it at all yet, and that when they start hearing about this, somebody in charge says, you know what, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, I can't imagine they've actually got very far along with it at the minute, other than maybe writing some scripts. Because certainly casting and shooting is not going to be happening. Um, I, 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 the only thing I don't want to see is Captain Kirk, or Lieutenant Kirk. What? No, you I, I don't want to see Lieutenant Kirk on the Farragut? Not unless it's an episode that takes place on the Farragut. Because if we're going adhering to what was said in the original, and let's be honest, they've not adhered to this anywhere yet so far. So uh, he only met Pike once prior to the Menagerie, and that was when he took command of the Enterprise. And that gives us, based upon the timeline of the Menagerie, the cage happened 13 years prior to that episode, meaning, and the cage has already happened in Discovery Season 2. So we've got at least a decade before Pike meets Kirk. Well, no, the rumor I heard is that they're going to get an actor, they're going to get rid of Anson Mount, and they're going to get an actor that looks like the guy from the Menagerie. What, the guy in the chair? Yes. <laughs> Sean Kenny. Is that who that was? I don't even That's know. who that was, yes. That's, Why I mean, do I that, remember that? That was, that was acting. <laughs> yeah, but he, he, to be fair to me, he was in another episode where his resemblance to Jeffrey Hunter was much more pronounced. He played a helmsman in another episode. I think it was Arena, but don't quote me on it. I will not quote you. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, as with everything, I'm moderately optimistic about it. I think it would be really nice to do that kind of show basically what if the cage had gone to series honestly i'm neither optimistic nor pessimistic i am just hopeful that it's something i'm going to enjoy yeah i'm open i'm open-minded yeah and I, I like the idea of it being more episodic i think that's got merit at the moment because one of the problems bill and i had with discovery season two was that the overarching story was boring and didn't engage our interest and the episodes that were interesting were the ones that didn't engage with the overarching story, especially seeing as they botched the ending of it. I'm so glad you said that because I'm struggling to get through season two. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, darn. Then we still can't discuss why season two doesn't <laughs> no, work at the discuss. end. Mm. The very thing they're trying to stop is stopped. So yeah. At that point, there is no you know, reason. For Discovery right. to do what it does when it does it. 
You're like, Easy okay, they made it. Now, now you could say, well, they didn't know that it had stopped, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah you know they what? did, didn't they? Well, you know what? That would involve me going back and trying to watch it, and I refuse to waste that time. I only have so many hours left in my life, and that's not going to be spent <laughs> on it. I keep meaning I to put care. it back on while I'm working from home and, and give it another go. Because first, series, series one had potential. I thought season one had potential. And I think season two, they, I think they upset the apple cart by bringing Captain Pike in. Because not only did Anson Mount have twice the energy of everyone else on camera, he blew them all away with the fact that he's the only genuine Star Trek feeling character in the show. Yeah. He felt like a starship captain. He felt he had that William Shatner energy to him and that twinkle in his eye. And he just seemed like just delighted to be there. And the problem was it, was, it wasn't his show. Right. So it, it kind of meant that this guest star basically walked in and walked away with the show. And I did feel a little bit sorry for everyone else. But at the same time, he he was the most interesting thing about season two. And honestly, the only thing that's got me engaged for season three is how it ended. The very last shot of season three, because there's a bit just before. Can we? Do, should we not talk about this in case we ruin it for for you two? Oh, we, go ahead. Talk. All, right, all right. There is a bit that is just laughably bad. Prior to us finding out what's happened to the Discovery, Pike and Co. Uh, debriefed by Starfleet Command. And they say, and we will never mention Discovery or Michael Burnham ever again. And you're just sat there with your head in your hands going, really? That's your solution for why Spock never mentioned he had an adoptive sister. It never happened. It was such a risibly bad scene. Oh, I could not believe it. I could not believe how inept the writing in that scene was. It was literally, we will never speak of it again. And you were just like, oh, for fuck's sake. And they said they said put these files next to that box where the Ark of the Covenant is in. Yeah, and wheel it away. <laughs> so, but then the very final scene is discover it is now was it nine hundred years into the future, Bill? They're now in sort of like the twenty eighth or twenty ninth century, which reeks to me of the writers just acknowledging that we can't make this show work in canon. We just can't. Everything we do contradicts it, despite us going blue in the face, telling the fans that, no, this story fits 10 years before the original. But it clearly doesn't. So they've just thrown their arms up and said, ah, f*** it, and pushed it far forward. And that made me interested in it. Because suddenly we've got a Star Trek show that is again in the future that will hopefully be about going boldly. And it's even further forward than Picard, isn't it? It's beyond Picard. Way beyond. Well, because now it's not beholden to trying to work into... They can do what they want. Yeah. Although, I guess the Federation doesn't exist anymore, or who knows, based on one of the short tracks. But wasn't there um, someone from the Federation in Voyager who came from, like, the 28th or 29th century? No, that was Enterprise. Uh... Was that not the Temporal Cold War guy in Enterprise? Yeah, but they also had... Which, oh, 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 oh! They never resolved that plotline in Enterprise. It just kind of went away. Wouldn't it be cool if the Temporal Cold War guy shows up in Discovery? I think you're giving them too much credit. I think I'm giving them far too much credit. <laughs> you know what would have been a great 80s way of 
resolving discovery and never speaking of it again. Having Spock wake up and go, I had the most illogical dream. <laughs> Spock, he wakes up in the shower. Right. To brings the. We could just have Spock look in the mirror, and he looks like um, Doctor Strange. Yeah. Oh boy. And he goes, Oh boy. I hope they've looked at the Orville and gone, Let's do it like this. Let's do episodic stories, but the character arcs continue from show to show. What does this mean for the other shows? Which the section everything seems to have gone quiet on the section thirty-one front. Uh, we know the animated, yeah, lower decks is still happening because we've seen a clip of that. But the other shows, they seem to have, have disappeared off the schedule. Well, a lot of shows have disappeared all over because of there's no, they're not being produced right now. What's going? Yeah. Have uh, any of you guys been seeing those sonnets that Patrick Stewart is posting every single day? I've not watched them. I'm aware of them. Two days ago, he had a guest come and do it for him. He was the guest? Jonathan Frakes. Hey! It was really great, I have to say. I may go and watch that one. I think it was like two days ago. Do your duty, number one. Anyway, back to this episode, because we're yeah, way, we way, way off target. So... Today's episode is Field of Fire. An assassin is on the loose. There is someone who could help, but I don't want to ask him. But to catch a killer, Esri must become one. No! On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Which is seven. It was directed by anyone want to... Wally! Notice? Yes, the brother of the beaver, Tony Dow. Who's Beaver? <laughs> it's an American thingy. Leave it to Beaver. What? The the Beaver's an American thing. Yes, the show. Barbara Billingsley. The Beaver. Hugh Beaumont. Jerry Mathers. You know, yes, the Beaver. You know, she says she says to the husband Ward, "I think you're a little hard on the Beaver last night." <laughs> Is this a genuine thing? Yes. Yeah. You're not winding up the foreigner. Nope. Nope. This is a show called Leave It to Beaver. Okay. Beaver was the name of the youngest kid. I don't want to know what the name was called Beaver. I'm just telling you, that was... They named the youngest kid Beaver. No, that was his nickname. That was his nickname. Uh, okay. Why was that his nickname? Back in the 80s, something like Still the Beaver or something. Was it, was it when, he, when his mum expunged him from, from her? It was so painful she couldn't resist calling him Beaver for the rest of his life. I don't know why they called him Beaver, but you know, it's probably something like he had buck teeth or something. Oh, ah, okay. It was in black and white. It was in the sixties or the the sixties. Leave it to there's there's a a great uh, Second City TV skit on it, Uh, and I think it's I think it's probably available on YouTube. Nineteen. 1957 to 1963? Okay. There you go. Oh, so, yeah. so it was both decades. Right. Well, that's probably why I've never heard of it. I was a good decade and a half away from being born. Oh, that's your fault. I saw it when I was a kid. I saw the beaver. <laughs> <laughs> and haven't seen it since. <laughs> this, this is feeling like a naked gun sketch. <laughs> nice beaver. Thanks, I had it stuffed last week. Oh, anyway. anyway. So, back to the episode. Back to the episode, written by Robert Hewitt Wolf, uh, featuring music by Gregory Daryl Smith. And this original air date was February 10th, 1999. 
guest art. Good luck with that, Bill. Uh, Chudabala? Yeah, that'll do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As Lieutenant Hector Iario. Iaro? <laughs> Man, these are tough, tough names. Lee McClowski as Joran Bellar. Marty Rockman as Chulak. And, of course, Mark Allen Shepard is more. And our plot. After a night of heavy drinking, Ezri Dax accompanies Ilario, a fellow DS9 crew member, back to his quarters. The next morning, Ilario is found dead there. Ooh. Julian Bashir determines that Ilario was killed by a titanium bullet fired at close range. The weapon is determined to be a TR-116. Have you seen the new TR-116s? Oh, yeah, I think they're pretty nice. Yeah, yeah they're not a bad gun, man. A prototype designed by Starfleet for use in environments where a phaser would be ineffective. But Odo was puzzled because that kind of weapon usually leaves powder marks on the victims when fired at close range. What's, what's the powder, but? Well, you see, uh, in these novels I've been reading... Anyway, we'll have that later. <laughs> oh, okay. Joran Dax, the most violent of the former Dax hosts, surfaces from Esri's subconscious. Joran tells Esri he can help her find Alario's killer. Ezri summons him to be to the foreground of her consciousness with a trill ritual. Yes, a pile of mud. And demonstrating on a melon. Boy, this thing just jumps all around. Demonstrating on a melon, Miles O'Brien shows Odo and Dax how the killer gave the bullet a close-range trajectory without being in the same room as the victim. A micro-sized transporter had been fitted to the weapon, enabling it to pass through walls or any other obstacle. The bodies of a 37-year-old female human and later a male Bolian both turn up dead with titanium bullet wounds. The only pattern appears to be that the killer is targeting Starfleet officers, until Ezri notices that each of the three murder victims had photographs in their quarters showing that showing the people laughing. Stop stop laughing at me! Why are you laughing? <laughs> you told me to! Paul gets that one. Joran and Ezri deduce that they are dealing with a killer who strikes at laughter, and a Vulcan would be most likely. Well, that's kind of... With Joran's help, Ezri narrows the list of suspects down to 48 Vulcans. Right, 48 Vulcans on the promenade. <laughs> Riding in a terrible lift with Chulak, one of the suspects, Joran becomes convinced Chulak is the killer. Chulak realizes Ezri suspects him and targets her with his TR-116. Ezri uses a TR-116 as well to shoot Chulak. At the same time, Chulak shoots at her. The bullet for Ezri misses by a narrow margin, but the bullet for Tulak hits its target. Tulak is revealed to have been a crew member on the Starfleet vessel USS Grissom, which experienced severe casualties during the Dominion War. Tulak was one of the ship's few surviving crew, but one, it was, he was six out of 1,250. Okay. And the emotional shock of the experience drove him to target any Starfleet officer showing happiness. While being Andy would be dead. <laughs> while being questioned, Chulak attempts to what? Oh, well, while while being questioned, is what you mean when he was on the floor going? Uh, uh, Chulak attempts to justify his actions by saying because logic demanded it. Huh? As Joran urges Ezri to finish off Chulak, she instead calls a medical team. I almost read that as calls a magician. Man, I need glasses. Later, Joran quietly returns to Ezri's subconscious with the counter ritual. Kind of well written. So, why don't we start off with the the? the you never want to be uh, put on the Grissom. No, no, you don't. I mean, yeah, isn't that the same Grissom that was blown up in Star Trek Three? Yeah. Yeah, but presumably, or, or even the original Gus that. Grissom, who who was unable to 
take the trip in the, into space anyway. Yes. I used to bullseye womp rats with my TR-16 back home. Um, this one's okay for the first two-thirds, isn't it? I, I even thought the, the conclusion was okay, honestly. I, I didn't really have a problem with the episode, and I thought it was kind of cool, to, the idea of having a uh, Vulcan serial killer. I yeah. That was, that was a pretty cool that's, concept. That's a very good idea, and the actual beaming of the bullet is really clever. My I'm not entirely sure... Well, yeah, but when it should be an Odo episode. But how how does this device see through bulkheads? Uh, you know, I was wondering that science. Too. So they science. Yeah, okay. that's how it sees through. Okay, so this thing would have to be so like the further away you get with this thing, even just a minute shift of your head is going to move that thing so far out of your field of vision. So. Although, okay, let me back up. I just did think she was dialing something on the actual. Um, yeah, she could focus it on the so weapon. So you thing. could turn physically, and then you could zoom in and out with the dial on the gun. I guess. Mm. Yeah, that wasn't my issue. My issue yeah, was that they have to see through all the walls. I mean, that would be like a peeping tom's dream. Now. That's what I mean. They've got this device that allows them to see anywhere, anyone. On the station, you really, you really question that by the time this happens, that that technology would be out of their ability, considering webcams now. I question that they will ever see through a bulkhead with that clarity. Maybe infrared images. Yeah, well, hmm. Superman X-ray vision. I don't think we could build that though. No, we can't now. I mean, if I, they if they would have it, it would be like this. I would assume, like completely under wraps. It's not something, you know. Although I guess any officer who's in Starfleet can just access. Oh well, any any Starfleet officer can access a prototype weapon schematic and build it on his own. Yeah. Otherwise, he would have had to buy a Manlika Carcano. <laughs> I mean, I like the idea of the little mini transporter that beams the bullet. I think that was really cool. I, I don't even for Star Trek the idea of having that little headpiece that could see basically anywhere in the station seemed a little bit too far beyond well, that was like what the, is uh, possible. That was like the um, the ones they use on the on the the Jem'Hadar ship because they have no view screen. Look through that, but that's really nothing but it. You're not actually looking. Are you actually looking through? No, isn't the isn't that just isn't that you? Yeah, isn't that just giving you a view screen image? But it's a three hundred. You could look anywhere. Like they were turning and looking in all directions on the ship. Like they were actually looking outside of the ship. Well, are they not connected to little cameras that are all on the outside of the ship? I how see now. If, that, how did they get that film of the Enterprise exploding in Star Trek Three? That was science. Oh, okay. <laughs> My issue with this one was not only that she could look and see him, that when she zoomed in to have a look what he could see on the monitor, suddenly he was in a completely different space so she could see right past him. Whereas when she was looking at him, the monitor was blocked. No, she, she, I think she dialed it and it zoomed. That's what I mean. So, so now she's seeing through him. So now she can zoom through him. She's zooming through bulkheads. Why couldn't she zoom through him? Oh... Gotcha. It's, he has, but it still doesn't make me accept it any better. That's what. That's what. I, you know what? I said it facetiously, but science—you got to just accept that the science of the 23rd century is going to be able to do stuff. Or that's actually the 24th century, is it not? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. That, that that they've advanced to a point that they can do things that that we just can't really even conceive of how they would do it now. Because if you go, 
are like magic. If mm. you go back a couple of centuries and show them a big screen TV, they'd be like, ooh, we have a new god. <laughs> <laughs> we could All right, well, this, this wasn't even my problem with it, though. My problem came at the point where not only did she go, it's people who are being killed, it must be a Vulcan, to the fact that when they're in the turbo lift with that Vulcan, she just makes some intuitive leap that that's the killer. That I agree with you. That seemed like, a little bit yeah. uh, unlikely or a little bit too much of a leap of logic. So all the way through, the actual investigation was really quite good and clever and interesting. And I didn't even mind that it was Ezri rather than um, Odo, which is who it should have been, because the implication is that Odo was investigating this off somewhere else while Ezri was doing whatever the hell Ezri was doing. But she didn't realise it was that Vulcan through any kind of logical deductive means. I'm in the elevator with this guy. It must be him. Oh, come on. That was the... We're at, like, the... 35 minute mark so we gotta wrap this mm, which is what it felt like well that um, really wasn't hard though that was Joran he knew a killer because he is a killer so you could check some people playing that. Silence of the Lambs with uh, the Dax symbiote basically yeah this was Silence of the Lambs wasn't it but also the Joran thing as well that just so when she's seeing him is that just a dramatic device for us and she's just talking to herself yes yeah, there's nothing physically there. Because that could have been a lot funnier. <laughs> just everyone just stirring at her. Like in Quantum Leap when Al would show up. Didn't, didn't Quark do but, that yeah, once? Yeah, because Quark come, comes up and, and and he's like, are you all right? Well, and then she 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 does that on the turbo lift with, uh, with, with the Vulcan. She's like, she's like <laughs> am I missing something, though? And, and I'm trying to remember the episode when Jaren was... Uh, introduced to us but what what is what she can make him appear or disappear with like a chant yeah or beetlejuice 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 it's, i guess it's a ritual chant that unlocks and allows the host to um access forward, previous which, hosts which, which which would really have i mean is <sighs> it would be you beneficial they made, they made me be a host but i don't want to so i'm going to just block all of the prior hosts <laughs> and then i'm just on my own Hmm. Oh, and, I just, uh, and I love I love the bits I love O'Brien in this episode I love the opening where Bashir O'Brien tell that new kid anything you want well I want to come on the holiday with you oh no no ah, no, no, no. no no can't do that and I love that it's O'Brien who figures out the melon thing and he's like stand back I've only done this a couple of times <laughs> and I just have visions of Chief O'Brien just practicing and keep missing He's, he's the Gallagher of Starfleet. Yeah, I love the idea that he's just practiced shooting melons for the past day. Well, then it's a little disconcerting that when he walks in the room, he goes, It worked! Wait a minute. So so you took a chance on shooting them. Yeah, it's it's quite good. I, I, all of that. I love the first, like, two-thirds of it. I think the first two-thirds of it are really well done. I just think how she gets to her conclusion of who her suspect is that was lacking somewhat. She didn't do any investigation, though. She just looked into it. How come yeah. Worf had nothing to do with this? Other than he, plot. He was there. He was, he was uh, there, but he, he seemed like he was shoehorned in, honestly. Uh, Contractually obligated to be in this. Yeah, that's what it felt like, frankly. But I mean, if you had a murder on a military base, wouldn't the MPs be the ones to investigate? Or, especially or especially given... Especially as you've got the uh, a wharf who was also a security officer. 
so that would kind of lay into his skill set that it would be him and Odo investigating this, not not the counsellor. But he's just a big softie and he's worried about Esri. Oh, I, I quite, I quite like that scene to be honest with you. You know what it felt like to me? It felt like Robert Ewood Wolf had this idea a while ago, and they were kind of pressed for story ideas. And I, and I did see something in uh, Memory Alpha that most of the writing staff was kind of busy with other things when this was being put together they but it felt to me prodigal daughter I yeah they, they didn't do a very good job on that but anyway uh i kind of felt like this was an idea he had a while ago and when he was pressed to just kind of put something together on his own it was like okay i, I had thought of this for jadzia but i'm going to just kind of update it and make it esri uh and then you know, we'll, we'll work with that. But again, it, it just feels like it to me, honestly, if this had been a season five episode or a season six episode, I think I would have I would have really appreciated it more. But again, we're down to the last, you know, we're getting down to the nitty gritty and we're still being introduced and, you know, taken over by this character that I feel like doesn't have a right to uh, Shanghai the last season on us. Yeah. Just, we, well, we could call this the what? The uh, the the third trilogy? episode in a row that's all about Ezra. The Ezra trilogy. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a but, bit much. You know what you could have almost done with this one if you wanted to go for the whole Silence of the Lambs vibe. You could have had either Odo or Worf, who is the investigator, dealing with Ezra, who brings the psycho, you know, trill out of her. Do you know what I'm saying? Like she. Plays. I know exactly what you're saying. I think that's a good idea. Well, they I had think... uh, they had the episode where they put Duran into Cisco, didn't they? Yeah. So yeah, so Nicole de Boer could have played Joran instead of playing Ezra. Right. Yeah, that would have been better actually. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, all told, it wasn't awful. I, oh, I quite enjoyed, enjoyed most enjoyed of it. it. Yeah. Yeah. As, as I just said, if this was a different season, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more than I did. I, I don't think it was awful at all. I think it was a, a very enjoyable episode. I just feel like we have so few left that I, I just want to see more going on with the, you know, with the main plot. Yeah, yeah. I think this is the third episode in a row that has had nothing to do with the overarching storyline and we're barreling towards the end of the last season and we've had three episodes in a row that were about nothing really that being said this is easily the best of the Esri trilogy oh, oh yeah no question now it was I I I don't want to say nice but it was thoughtful that they brought up the fact of uh, stress on people in yeah, the military PTSD yeah you know that However, I would have liked maybe a few more minutes where they try to figure out how to help Chulak or, you know, because they just, to be honest with you, doing the rewatch this morning, I honestly thought that he was killed and that he, I was like, you know, oh, it's too bad they're going to kill him. And, oh, they didn't kill him. That's right. And then I was like, well, maybe, you know, maybe they, they could have showed him, you know, or explained what the, how they were going to try to help him with his stress or whatever, and trial, things like that. But I just felt like there could have been a, maybe a little bit more. But uh, well, he, yeah, I mean, I think that there could have definitely been some psychological stuff done with that because he kind of had the Vulcan permutation of PST, PSTD. Yeah. PTSD. Excuse me, I got it backwards. Uh, yeah, what I what I'm talking about would be really bad. Uh, <laughs> but, so you know, I, I definitely think that that you could have played with that a little. I, I but I honestly, I thought the idea of having a Vulcan serial killer just in a vacuum—that concept is brilliant. I, I just thought you know because it just goes so far afield of what you expect. If it had been virtually anybody else, 
it just would have seemed like a run-of-the-mill ending. But to have it be a Vulcan, the only thing about all of that, and I think you already kind of mentioned this, is, hmm, look at all these pictures. They're all smiling. You know what? Go to everybody's house and look at the pictures that are hanging up. Virtually everybody is smiling. Very few of the have people looking stoic and Vulcan-like. So did Julak... Oh, okay, so... All right, so they're saying it's the pictures. Is it the pictures, or is, did Chulak see the guy happy in Quarks? Or... That, w- that would have been nice if you go back and watch it again. He's in Quarks looking at them. And I was looking. I was looking for him in the background or somewhere. Because that, that whole, like you said, Paul, you go you go into a- anybody's house and there's pictures. You know, oh, yeah, no, I have a picture of me really pissed off that day with my entire family. You know, that's the one that's not going to be on the wall or on the desk. <laughs> He doesn't want to be smacking my kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so then we have to assume that Chulak not 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 only was he looking that well that he's a peeping Tom, he's a he's a peeping Chulak. I guess because he's looking for somebody to kill, which goes a little bit more beyond than just like being pissed off because somebody was smiling in the hallway. Now mm-hmm. he's stalking each quarters, looking for oh oh look, there's a happy picture. Blam! Oh, there's another happy picture. Blam! He could kill everybody on the station at that point. I mean, they come to the conclusion with the pictures much too quickly and much too easily. Like you know, I I can't imagine that that you're gonna come to that conclusion because you see three people with pictures in their rooms of them smiling. But 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 you know, they also came to the to the came up with the concept that because it's caught in a photograph, it's perpetual happiness. But think about in Star Trek, how often do you ever see pictures in anybody's quarters? Star Trek 6 is pretty much it, isn't it? And I think there's there's Picard looking through the photograph. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but Picard has a photo not on display either. No. Yeah, there's only, there's only Kirk's got a picture of David. And oh, in Star Trek Beyond, New Spock has a picture of the old crew. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But other than that, you don't see people like having their. It's almost like today where people take a million pictures on their phone, but don't actually print any up. Oh, I, I, I can neither confirm nor dispute your uh, theory on that because I can't say when they've showed the inside of people's quarters that I've paid close enough attention to know if they showed any photographs ever. <laughs> take all those pictures down no pictures allowed in anybody's rooms ever yeah. so what, what, what did we think of Joran he was just kind of the when he yeah a little bit of a a scenery a subtle scenery muncher not a chewer I would trying agree. to be a, a reserved Hannibal Lecter because this was after Silence of the Lambs because I wasn't sure I was like wait a minute did this come before I thought I I'm sorry finish what you're saying Bill no nah, he he was all right. I mean, yeah. well, I kind of, I, I kind of thought they showed some good characterization there. Like he, you know, you you can kind of see the psycho, but you also could understand his his frustration that his personality has been buried, uh, and and is not considered part of you know the inner circle, so to speak, uh, and that that he you know he wants some respect himself, but he's also kind of a psycho at the same time. Yeah. So I I kind of I kind of liked that portrayal. This this came first. I think it needed it needed Andy Robinson. Obviously not Andy Robinson because he plays Garrett, but it needed somebody like him. This came first, but it, you know it reminded me every when he got to the point where he's telling a, uh, okay, kill him, kill him. I kept hearing Palpatine, kill him, Anakin, kill him. 
do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it now. I thought, you know, I mean, that whole scene was interesting from her perspective when it all went on. But then do you really just say, all right, you know, good thing they stopped you. All right, go ahead. Go keep investigating. I'm thinking, you know, that that's I don't I don't know that you just let her go. I don't know that she keeps her job as a as a an a, a, what you call it uh, uh, a counselor. counselor. I couldn't think of her. her I can't uh, even think of what she come does. On. This is this is this. You just almost stabbed somebody. But you're gonna matter. be but you're gonna be our counselor. That's all right. Oh, how many times did Wolf almost kill yeah. somebody? Wolf is a counselor. Somebody, That's how many true. times yeah. did somebody do this or that that you know should have been a chargeable offense or steal a ship? Yeah. Well, Commander Riker in the bonding, he should have been kicked off the ship for that. And every time they do <clears> something <throat> like that, I try to question it and say that's not right. You can't do that. I mean, we've we've mentioned on numerous occasions about you know with uh, you know when Chief O'Brien has has circumvented the rules and saying you know and then they pat him on the back and say don't do that no more and they walk away and it's like no I don't think that's really the way it works in the military now once again I've never been in the military he's got uh, accommodation for creative thinking yeah <laughs> I, I, I don't think that's realistic just me you know maybe I'm wrong let me let you on a secret so I mean there's a lot of things like that I think were just kind of uh, giving in to the fact that we only had 45 minutes to put this all together and we can't really delay but you know they, they, they do raise questions so I guess you don't need search warrants anymore you can just peek into people's quarters with your x-ray machine huh? oh I don't doubt that section 31 does that yeah. I mean we, we have fairly high tech surveillance now why wouldn't it be more high tech in you know 300 years 400 years no, I'm not saying it's impossible to make, but I, you would probably still need a warrant to peek into somebody's bedroom. There's got to be some type of metal or element or energy field you could raise that would block like that. And I'm sure the people in the know have that in their quarters or will spy type. They have the cones of silence that come down. <laughs> you know, maybe we should... Uh, well, no, that would be... Yeah. I, I was going to say, maybe... Uh, but then how would you get Garrett... Like they did with um, Cisco, with letting Joran take over Cisco. Have Joran take over Garrick. That would have been better from an actor point of view, because Andy Robinson could have nailed this role. Or just have Andy Robinson on the ship as some type of uh, special investigator, but he's a human, and you know, then he's not in the in the Garrick makeup. That would have, so been great. have Andy Robinson play Joran. You mean? Yeah, yeah. That would that would have been really cool. Oh, I I didn't even think of that. Yeah. But now the, been a little too on the note. The guy who played uh, Ilario, didn't he sing the song, I Get Knocked Down, But I Get Up Again? <laughs> I quite liked him. I thought he was quite nice. I loved that he made a pass at Ezra. Oh, and, and he, he got the great Winston Churchill line. Yeah, yeah I, I'll, I'll be sober tomorrow, but you'll still be beautiful. <laughs> it made, oh, what was, it was right there. I had a, I had a joke, but no. <laughs> it died. God, it died. It, it's an unborn joke. And it so, cried. So everybody listening, you're welcome. Oh no, thank you, thank you. You brought it back. <laughs> Damn, sorry. Right, right when he he hit on her, it made me think of uh, everybody loves Raymond, but it was like everybody loves Ezra. <laughs> everybody does love Ezra. Just like oh, he's so She's beautiful. Just, and and that's the thing I guess I need to not get misinterpreted about my criticism is I like the character of Ezra. I like Nicole De as an actress. Uh, I just 
think in the last season it was it's a little bit of a misstep to focus on her quite so much. Hmm. I mean, it kind of feels like they're trying to make up for lost time, get bring her into the fold in order to make her more believable in the end, maybe. I mean, past these, past these next few, you know, like this is one of the few episodes that I remember first run. I mean, I mean, I vaguely remember the end, and I haven't. You probably needed to have her more involved in some B plots instead of being the focus of episodes. I think that would make more sense about getting the audience to be more endeared to her, but not having her uh, take over. You know, this this isn't supposed to be Star Trek. Star Trek Dax. That's coming next year. And that'll be like Doctor Who. They can just keep going with that. Yeah. Pop pop the, uh, the symbiote out, put it in a new person. Next. All right. So are we at the point of rating this? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, Your episode, William. I'm going... So it wasn't a... I didn't like... Okay, what time? How much more? So it passed the... Um, it wasn't bad. It was a little... It, but it was... so. But it's a little bit more than average. So I'm going to say... 3.5 ruptured melons <laughs> out of 5. And nobody wants ruptured melons. Right. Tough surgery. Anyway, uh, yeah, I pretty much agree with you, Bill. I think uh, I think it was a solid episode. I enjoyed it very much. I just think its positioning towards the end of the series is just you know a slight misstep. I think there's a couple of things, you know, a couple of leaps in logic that we've talked about uh, as far as how, how it proceeds. But all that aside, I found it to be pretty engrossing. I enjoyed watching it. I liked the concepts that they came up with, and I gave it a 3.0. Yeah, I give it three as well. It, it is. It's solidly entertaining. It's just I did not buy that ending at all. They're smiling. It must be a Vulcan killer. <laughs> Wait a minute. They're sad. It's a Romulan. <laughs> Jimmy Durante, come out. When you slim. I, uh... I really enjoyed this one, to be honest. After the last two, where I kept looking at the clock or or the running time because I couldn't wait for it to be over, I really enjoyed this one. I thought the plot was interesting. My only fault is she was the wrong character to be conducting this whole investigation. So for that reason, I gave it a three and a half, too, because three and a half magic bullets, because I really (laughs) enjoyed it. So that's what we think what does Blaine say oh says I you know we're gonna do this every time but I was my 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 head was I was doing all my parody songs this morning before we even got on and I I was trying to work them into into there but that doesn't quite work alright quick give me one of your parody songs for today well what was it oh yeah Shot through the heart, Vulcan's to blame. You give Starfleet a bad name, bad name. Played your cards and the da, 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 da. what does Blaine say? <laughs> you just you just blend it right into it. Yeah, there you go. And Blaine says, "Hi guys, a murder mystery in a sci-fi setting." These are notoriously hard to write because of the sort of things we see here. The existence of advanced technology, transporters, and an X-ray sniper scope in this case makes the possible modes of opportunity just far too plentiful. Yes, that image is definitely not produced by actual X-rays, but it's an effective shorthand. The only tech that makes sense for that is a scope that ties into the ship's internal sensors. 
But then there's really no good reason for such a limited color palette. While I appreciate that this is a character piece drawing on the secret host of the deck symbiote and that the power that personality can exercise on the being who wasn't ready for joining, the mystery element holds it back. I'm a fan of detective shows. My DVD collection includes every episode of Columbo, Rockford Files, Monk, Psych, Remington Steel, Murder, She Wrote, Scarecrow and Mrs. King, Kojak, and more. So what Blaine is saying is that he has the DVD collection of a 78-year-old. This mystery shouldn't have... <laughs> hey, I like Psych. I, I, I didn't like, say I, I don't like, like these shows. I didn't say I don't like them, but I don't have them all on DVD either, because I am—I would have the, spry, the DVD collection of a spry 75-year-old. <laughs> anyway, this mystery shouldn't shouldn't have been solved like this. It's a tenuous logic leap that leads them to any Vulcan. They can narrow it down to 28 readily enough, but then knowing it's this Vulcan because a figment of Ezri's imagination looks into his eyes is just going too far. We all agree with you on that, Blaine. This plot depends upon too much coincidence to satisfy the mystery nut in me. I appreciate that they only had so much time on the a- that aspect, but it just doesn't work. Especially since Odo knew about powder burns and noticed their absence. Why the mystery didn't end right then and there with Odo saying, computer, scan the station for residual chemical traces consistent with a weapon of this type, followed by the computer's reply, chemical traces found in crewman Ch- Chulak's quarters at the very least. They could have had him in custody from the start and needed Joran to help break him during the interrogation or paid some sort of lip service to how Chulak knew about the forensic application of powder burns and was somehow masking or cleaning up his quarters after the fact so that no traces could be detected. Very good points, Blaine. I agree with you. Ultimately, it's a nice character piece for Esri, but I find it hard to suspend my disbelief long enough to accept her level of importance to this investigation being depicted <laughs> here. Blaine. I think we agree with everything Blaine is saying there. Yeah, he's also reminded me of something else that I thought was dumb in the ending. She shoots him through the shoulder and then doesn't immediately go Esri to security, get to Ensign Chulak's oh, quarters. Instead, she goes to his quarters on her own. What if he'd made a recovery and picked up the gun and shot her as soon as she walked through the door? clearly the best would have been if as he was crawling towards the rifle they intercut it like several times with her on the lift with the music from the girl from Ipanini playing in the background <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah I, I i didn't think of the um the residual chemical traces of the bullet yeah, that's an extremely good idea well yeah, I thought about that too, but then I thought, well, maybe it's too fine to pick up. Uh, I kind of like yeah, Blaine's explanation. Yeah, but they, did, they didn't even try, it. though. Yeah, I know, yeah. I kind of like Blaine's explanation that the Vulcan was aware of the possibility and, and was masking it somehow. But that's <laughs> because they never actually mention it in the uh, in the episode. It's just headcanon. So after he shoots him, he gets out the dust buster and shoots the earth. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's got a magic eraser yeah oh, dear. all right so that's it for this episode uh we have a little email if anybody else wants to read one anyone yeah i don't mind doing one who's, who's we can't do season seven episode 14 can we yeah that's next time all right so let's episode so should we go straight to michael dargray then yeah okay our email is from michael dargray 
uh, in the pale moonlight gentlemen so here it is after listening to and enjoying every episode of your spirited insightful analysis of Deep Space Nine we have come to what I feel is the best episode of the series in the pale moonlight I've watched this episode dozens of times followed Cisco as he travelled down that road to hell that was paved with such good intentions and wondered what I would have done how many of us would lie cheat steal engage in conspiracy or extortion to obtain a favourable outcome of course, Cisco was not doing this for profit or personal gain, but to prevent the deaths of billions. But he did lie. He presented false evidence to a Romulan senator and was complicit in the cover-up of two murders. He betrayed his oath as a Starfleet officer, assuming that the first duty of a Starfleet officer is to the truth, as Picard would have it. Avery Brooks and Andrew Robinson acting at the top of their game. Superb character interplay. Best line is from Garrick. You may have just saved the Alpha Quadrant, and all it cost was the life of one criminal, one Romulan senator, and the self-respect of one Starfleet officer. Now that's what I call a bargain. In the end, Cisco sums it all up, looking straight-faced into the camera, knowing all the wrong that he's done admits that he can live with it. Not exactly Gene Roddenberry's vision of a Starfleet captain, but damn human. Looking forward to the remaining episodes of LTTP. Hope to hear what you guys think of Star Trek Discovery and Picard. Your fan from Michigan, Michael Dargay. Well, you probably heard what we thought about Discovery at the beginning of this show. And we did an episode on Picard also. Yes, we did. But, uh, Michael, we hadn't heard from you before, so thank you for writing into us. And, uh, yeah, good, some good thoughts on that episode that, uh, if, if I remember correctly, we all loved. And rightly so. It is one of the best ones of the series. I guess we can do one more. And that's from uh, our good buddy, Ben, otherwise known as Tissum Tissum. And his his email is titled Pushing the Limits Re-Inquisition slash In the Pale Moonlight. Listeners, so last two episodes of LTTP as of this writing have been about Inquisition and In the Pale Moonlight. Hell of a one-two punch as Season 6 wakes up and delivers two of Trek's best and most morally challenging episodes. And can we note yet another major story credit for Peter Allen Fields? Doesn't it seem totally unsurprising in retrospect and befitting the show's reputation as the Dark Trek that Section 31 is maybe DS9's biggest contribution or big contribution to the overall Star Trek mythos? Possibly the single element of DS9 that's been most frequently referenced and incorporated into the more recent incarnations of the Trek franchise. Particularly in your Inquisition episode, you went back and forth quite a bit about whether the existence of Section 31 fits with Roddenberry's vision of Star Trek. I do think we have to keep in mind that a lot of what Sloan has to say is self-serving, self-justifying, self-mythologizing. The show will demonstrate that some of the higher-ups definitely know about him and turn a blind eye to Section 31. But we don't know how widespread it is. And we also don't know if Section 31 actually deserves the credit they give themselves for keeping the Federation afloat. The idealist in me, who is such a Trekkie, does have to make these justifications to really make the whole thing fit. The realist in me assumes that any government will be beset by corruption and moral compromise. Humans aren't all that great in real life. If you're talking about Roddenberry's vision, though, I'm reminded of something from Gene's original Star Trek outline Bible from 1964. The emphasis is, he marked that the emphasis is mine and he has some of the words uh, in italics 
I'll try and say those more emphatically. The time is somewhere in the future. It could be 1995 or even 2995. In other words, close enough to our own time for our continuing characters to be fully identifiable as people like us, but far enough into the future for galaxy travel to be thoroughly established. In that sense, DS9's moral ambiguities and failings are very recognizable as humans like us, and that's and so that's very Roddenberryan. Of course, we all love In the Pale Moonlight, which immediately follows and brings the sort of conflict home to our protagonist. I'm reminded that although we think of it as Cisco crossing a line, he's crossing a line, he's crossed lines before, but this episode is defined by the fact that no matter where he tells himself what he tells himself, he's not in control of the events at all during In the Pale Moonlight. Almost immediately, it gets out of hand, and despite his best intentions, he continues to get dragged along as it snowballs further. Framing devices are often gimmicky, but having Cisco narrate this one was a brilliant choice. Letting him actively explain each step of the process so that the audience actually follows a sympathetic character into a dark place while rooting for him. I'd go on, but, well, nobody needs to have it explained to them that In the Pale Moonlight is a classic. And then two of the next three episodes are among my least favorite of the entire series. And the good one is the good one of that set is one with a wizard fight scene in space. The writers are only human too. Best Ben. Thanks for the email, Ben. And, you know, we, we, we enjoy your, your insights on, on the various shows. And, uh, I think, uh, once again, I think we are in all, all in agreement with your, uh, your thoughts on these two episodes. So I think that'll do it for today's show. You could be back with us next time. When what are we going to have, Andy? Next time on our old new episode of Listen to the Prophets, Odo meets another changeling. Cool. Chimera. Destiny. Something behind us is catching up with Odo. It's changeling. The truth. Bothers me that he thinks that you're not happy here. Can be denied no longer. You've been pretending to be a humanoid for so long, it doesn't even occur to you that you can be anything else. But to be a true changeling... That's what I am! Will Odo abandon his true love? Let's leave here, Odo. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. See you then. At least it's not Esri. It's, at least it's not an Esri episode, yeah. <laughs> Chimera Dax. <laughs> Bye-bye. Goodbye. We're still here. Listen to the Prophets at Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. Hello? 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 Is it Andy you're looking for?